Welcome. This is Phil Goldberg on Spirit Matters, founded spiritmatterstalk.com. Those of you who are regular listeners are accustomed to hearing my co-host, Dennis Ramundi, do the introductions, but Dennis couldn't make it today, so I'm flying solo with our guest. Our guest is Kalyan Vishwanathan, and he is the uh, president of the Hindu University of America, which is what we want to talk about. Kalyan uh, has a master's degree in computer and information science from Ohio State. He's originally from India and has been living in Dallas. He had a long 21-year association with the terrific guru Puja Swami Dayananda Saraswati, uh, founder of the Arshavidya Gurukulam, and uh, in which had a branch in America, and is also uh, Kalyan is also the president of the Dharma Civilization Foundation. Um, and we want to talk to him about his work with Hindu University of America. Welcome, Kalyan. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, uh, Philip. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to be on your uh, podcast. Please uh, begin by telling us something a little more detail than I gave about your background, your spiritual Mm -hmm. background especially, uh, Mm -hmm. both in India and since you came to America. And... um, how you came to the work you're doing now, and then we'll dive into it. Okay, terrific. So I, uh, uh, you know, was born in a pretty um, orthodox Hindu family in the south of India. In the, you know, I was born in Bangalore and raised in Chennai, and uh, kind of picked up Hindu thought and ideas through the normal process of. Uh, say osmosis cultural osmosis if you will right mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, by the time i went to my undergraduate degree i started uh, inquiring into all sorts of uh, fundamental questions <laughs> like uh, <laughs> who am i and what am i doing here and what is my destiny and so on um and at that time i, I was very deeply attracted to uh, j krishnamurti Mm. No, I recognize him, and I became a very uh, uh, avid reader of Krishnamurti. I even had the good fortune to visit uh, with Krishnamurti when he was alive in Chennai. In Chennai, yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful place there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went. It's called Vasant Vihar. So I went there. I used to go there for five straight years. Uh, I, uh, I hung out in his. Uh, uh, his place <clears throat> there, um, and so much so I followed him around a little bit. I went to uh, later on when it was possible. I went to Brockwood Park in England, and I went to Ohio Valley in uh, California, where he has a place as well. And I found that uh, his particular way of uh, being and teaching, which was very anti-traditional. Uh, <laughs> particularly appealing, you know, uh, and, I, and I thought that, uh, 
you know, his repudiation of tradition uh, was very refreshing to me. And I, of course, I was growing up in a in an environment where science was the new god. You know, yes. <laughs> and everything had to be scientifically justified and validated, and so on. So, uh, but I thought that uh, the the dichotomy between uh, tradition, modernity, and uh, the way Krishnamurti was expressing uh, his teachings was very appealing to me. Uh, I also dabbled a little bit with some other writings uh, during that time. I got introduced to Sri Aurobindo's writings. Mm. I read a little bit of Gandhi. Uh, I, in fact, read the whole series of books written by an English uh, uh, person by the name Paul Brunton. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard of him. Yes. <clears throat> then I, I, I read um, some of the writings of Mahatma Gandhi. Then I stumbled onto a Bhagavad Gita written by uh, uh, Bal Gangadhar Tilak. You might recognize that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of that uh, was sort of part of the initial intellectual curiosity. And then I, when I came to the United States uh, in 92-93, I was here at, at Ohio State University, with, uh, enrolled in a master's program. And that's when my uh, questions got a little deeper, uh, almost became a kind of a personal crisis. And I took off to this ashram in Pennsylvania, uh, when I met Swami Dhananda Saraswati for the very first time. And uh, Swami Dhananda Saraswati, in complete contrast to Jay Krishnamurti, was totally traditional. I mean, as much as Jay Krishnamurti uh, sort of abandoned tradition, Swami Dhananda Saraswati embraced the tradition. And I found that to be an incredibly uh, fascinating and almost irrecon- irreconcilable sort of dichotomy. You know, how can one be so deeply traditional mm. and at the same time be uh, so open to questions and uh, you know question everything like Krishnamurti was doing? And that was when I think uh, something started clicking for me that there is this part of the tradition which is almost exactly like Krishnamurti was being, which is questioning and, you know, in fact, questioning was part of the tradition, you know, the Mm. inquiry, inquiring and living with uh, questions of deep significance was part of the tradition. And the tradition was not just simply repeating something endlessly, like Krishnamurti somehow sometimes made it out to be. So, yes. so, um, so I think that is the first time I started recognizing that uh, there are many sides to the story, you know. It's all not just one-sided. And I started encountering the, the many-sidedness of the Hindu world, you know. And uh, I got, uh, I think I got fascinated by it. That's how it all began for me. And uh, here I am. <laughs> that's great. No, I, I, I think that's great to go from uh, somebody as uh, iconoclastic as Krishnamurti, yeah. and then into a traditional uh, uh, Advaita Vedanta lineage. Yeah. 
uh, but I, I, your point is very well taken. Uh, none of that, n neither of those things would be contradictory to the other because yeah. there's such a breadth of uh, diversity yeah. within what we've come to call Hinduism. Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe you want to say something about that in relation to, uh, well, let's first say, you know, tell us about Hindu University of America. First, um, you know, it, it's been around since I think it was established in 1989. Can you tell us something about the origins and then why you chose to uh, accept the invitation to become president uh, just uh, not very long ago? Yeah, so... Uh... So quite simply, you know, the university was started under the inspiration of one, uh, uh, you know, a person by the name Swami Tilak, who was uh, quite a young Swami at the time, who was uh, traveling in South America, in Europe and the uh, United States. And apparently he uh, envisioned the possibility of a university, a Hindu University of America. Uh, in the U.S., but before it came into existence, he unfortunately passed away in a car accident hmm. uh, in Spain, of all places. But he had a few people here who were very inspired by him, and uh, they got together and said, we, sh we should make this uh, his dream a reality. And after a few years, they brought this university into existence. And it has been around, uh, you know, it was established in the state of Florida. It was uh, it was authorized by the state of Florida as a religious university, much, li much like a theological school or a school of divinity mm. in, the, in the U.S. Uh, and it uh, had its ups and downs. It, uh, you know, there were periods when it was flourishing, it had lots of students. Then there were periods when it was, uh, you know, declining and uh, lost some of its students. Uh, and it almost went into a state of uh, non-existence uh, around the, the December of 2017, I think it was, uh, when it ran out of money and uh, there was uh, a big crisis around what to do with the university. Should we shut it down completely or uh, should we, you know, revive it in some way? Mm -hmm. And I got pulled into a a kind of a day-long uh, session of deliberation on this matter. And by the time we came out of it, I think the consensus was that, uh, you know, we should do something to revive it. Nobody had the heart to shut it down, basically. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then uh, I volunteered to do a little bit of a due diligence on the university, basically looking at its past, looking at its finances, uh, taking a deeper look at its prospects and so on. And then finally, I wrote a report on it. We took it to our board of uh, Dharma Civilization Foundation. And and then we decided uh, on a board vote to say, yeah, we should do something about it. And that's how the whole story started for me. Then mm. soon thereafter, uh, you know, in 2019, uh, around April 1st of 2019, I transitioned into the university. And since then, I've been trying to guide the university and nurture it back to some um, level of uh, life and vigor, if you will. Right. Yeah, and in, in the interest of full disclosure for mm -hmm. our um, 
listeners, I uh, have had I had some interaction with you in the uh, uh, Dharma Civilization Foundation, uh, and um, and I'm going to be doing a course, a continuing ed course for Hindu University, uh, starting uh, October sixth, uh, on. Um, how Hindu Dharma transformed America. Um, so I just want to get that out there that I uh, I have some affiliation, mm-hmm. even at a distance. Uh, now, HUA, if we could just abbreviate it, was started by, and most of the involvement uh, continues to be, uh, Americans of uh, Indian descent. Yeah. That is to say, Hindu Americans. That's right. um, um, and and I'm intrigued by the uh, the immigration story that began really in earnest when the immigration laws in the U.S. were changed in 1965, mm-hmm. and now of course we have two or three generations of Hindu Americans. Temples have been built. Uh, they've all you know people are assimilating, becoming very prominent citizens, and so forth. And starting a university strikes me as something that other religious minorities have done in America's history. Jews started universities, Catholics started, you know, Notre Dame and uh, Fordham and many and others. Usually, uh, the Jesuits. Uh, you you're in Dallas. There's Southern Methodist University. Yeah. There's Baptists have started uh, universities. Uh, the Mormons started Brigham Young University, mm-hmm. and and they all evolve. They begin with religious roots, and then they become part of the uh, academic uh, landscape of America. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm I'm ask, I'm wondering when HUA will have a football team. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, uh, I, you know, it's been an interesting journey, uh, Philip. Uh, <laughs> if you think about it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, when I when we got started last year, right? Um, you know, the the one of the first questions that I asked as part of my due diligence was, uh, why did we uh, put a university in Orlando, Florida? You know, mm-hmm. uh, if you think about it, the 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 number of Hindu uh, uh, you know population, the the congregations of Hindu people. The number one place is in uh, the New Jersey, New York, the tri-state area. Mm-hmm. And then the number two place would be the Bay Area, mm-hmm. California, right? And maybe the number three place would be Los Angeles. And maybe, you know, then you work your way down to Houston and Dallas and Atlanta and other places. But certainly not Florida. So I, uh, um, uh, you know, after a lot of uh, thought about it, we we said, you know, it should we should really turn it into an online university because it needs to be able to access uh, both faculty and students who are far away. And when you when you limit it to a campus in one location, it gets fundamentally constrained by people who are nearby or who can travel or who can relocate and so on and so forth, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but then I had a hard time persuading people that uh, an online university, uh, an online only university could actually be a credible institution 
some of the faculty who are teaching at the HUA today, uh, you know, I remember them telling me, I don't teach well online. I, uh, you know, I want to look at my students in the eye when I teach. And I, I, I just don't think I can adjust to the online world. And fast forward one year, here is, we are living in the COVID-19 world. Right, right. right. <laughs> you know, who would have thought everybody's online now? I yeah. mean, there's nothing happening that's not online, really speaking. So we've had to adapt to this new online world. So we've got uh, an interesting, uh, uh, you know, series of classes all taking place uh, via Zoom and a learning management system and so on. And it's uh, it's actually quite wonderful. Yeah, it's, I, it's I, your other institutions are finding that. And I, not to in, in, indulge in... Uh, ethnic stereotypes, but um, you shouldn't have any uh, problem with customer service if you have technological problems <laughs> <laughs> with all, all the software expertise of the uh, Indian American community. Mm -hmm. uh, you won't have to call Bangalore like, like I do. Um, <laughs> um, being serious now, uh, Kalyan, what is the, how would you say the, uh, what would you say the mission or purpose of mm -hmm. the university is? Yeah, so that's a great question. Okay, uh, I would say, you know, uh, the thing is, uh, when we grew up in India, uh, you know, one of the things we, uh, we missed was having a formal grounding in uh, in Hinduism, you know, Hindu studies, so to speak, right? Mm. Uh, you know, all the schools and colleges in India post-independence, uh, you know, after the British left India, they, they, they all became uh, secular uh, schools and colleges in the image of the British institutions, right? Mm. That became the model. And if you had to learn something about Hinduism, you had to literally retreat into an ashram, in, into a mountainside somewhere, or uh, go to Rishikesh, or some remote place where you could access, gain access to some guru or acharya or, or some teacher of some, uh, you know, uh, some uh, stature. Mm -hmm. But coming to the United States, uh, I discovered that there is a lot of space here for academic study of religion, you know, the academic study of religion. Like you had the Harvard Divinity School. Mm -hmm. You had the Yale Which Divinity started School. out as a Unitarian institution. Mm. Yeah. And then you had the Princeton Theological Seminary, mm. which is a Presbyterian institution. Uh, and then, of course, in Dallas, we have the Dallas Theological Seminaries. Uh, and, uh, you know, and in Berkeley, you have the, right on the UC Berkeley campus, you have the Graduate Theological Union. And uh, I was fascinated by the fact that uh, in America, you have made space for the so-called uh, secular, liberal, scientific uh, establishment. And right alongside, you have the theological establishment. <laughs> in many cases, right adjacent to each other or even on the same campus, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you have, and you've, you've got this 
uh, interesting dynamic between these two uh, domains, the religious and theological and the secular and scientific side by side. Okay. Whereas in India, we found that uh, the, uh, the secular and scientific had been given a certain level of priority and the religious and theological had gotten suppressed completely. In, a, so, in academia. In academia, correct, mm -hmm. in academia. So one had to literally look for it outside academia. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, coming back to the question of the mission, right? Uh, I, I wanted to give a little background before I went into mm -hmm. the mission. So uh, our mission is really to, to create a, an environment where uh, the exploration of Hindu thought, you know, uh, all that could be construed as in, within the umbrella of Hindu thought, uh, its texts, its traditions, its culture, its civilization, its practices, they could all be, uh, you know, studied, uh, reflected upon, with a certain level of uh, intellectual and academic uh, rigor. So we are envisioning this as a place where uh, the knowledge systems, we are calling it knowledge system, born of uh, Hindu thought, can have a a, a legitimate place uh, for. Uh, you know, teaching, learning, uh, reflection, and engagement. And hopefully, uh, you know, in, in, a, in developing from an atmosphere of uh, academic excellence, uh, students will uh, come out, you know, much more, uh, much more enabled, you know, in terms of their grounding uh, and their interest and commitment to, to being of service, uh, you know, providing leadership and engage more substantially with the world around them. Hmm. So that would be my brief uh, statement hmm. of uh, the possibilities that this institution... Uh, and how um, the matter of granting degrees, is, yeah. is HUA granting degrees? Uh, yeah. Is it uh, anything in process having to do with accreditation and that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so HUA is authorized to grant uh, a master's degrees and doctoral degrees. Hmm. Okay, that authorization was secured in 1993, and we still possess it. We haven't uh, uh, given that up. Now, accreditation is a different matter. Um, we do wish to get accredited. And there were a couple of attempts made in the past, which did not uh, end successfully. Uh, but I'm committed to getting this institution accredited by the Southern Association of Colleges and Schools. And uh, once that gets uh, completed, uh, you know, the university will emerge as a, um, you know, a credible and legitimate institution within the American uh, higher education ecosystem. Uh huh. Now you have a, a, a range of courses that I see, and 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 some of them uh, are uh, uh, taken uh, with a, an eye toward uh, credit toward a degree, and others are continuing ed, like the one I'm doing. Yes. Um, there's a 
this reflects, it seems to me, a kind of uh, acknowledgement of the diversity uh, within what we call the Hindu tradition. So my one of the things I'm curious about, uh, and has come up at other times on, on the podcast, is the word Hinduism, yeah. which in America, you know, we think of Hinduism as, the, you know, the thing that the religion practiced in India, and it's one of the, you know, five or six world's religions. The people I know who are born into the, into the tradition, some of them uh, embrace the word Hinduism, some resent it. They don't like it. It's it, and, and and can you explain what Hin, what the word Hinduism means to you and the university and why it, it the word itself is a little controversial? <laughs> yeah. So you know, uh, in in large measure, you know, if you take those two words, uh, well, the one word being religion, and the other word being uh, Hinduism. Okay. Both those words are not of Indian origin. Okay, so neither is the word religion uh, really uh, fit within the uh, the Indian uh, dharmic ecosystem very well. Nor does the word Hinduism fit so easily and 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 cleanly as well. Okay. And part of the problem is that the words themselves have a lot of historical baggage. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, religion, if you look at the word religion, it emerged uh, from a particular European experience of what a religion is, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the prototypical religion was Christianity. You know, and, and if you when you look at uh, what was there before religions came into existence, uh, you know, if you look at Europe, the Greek, ancient Greek and Roman, or the Egyptian, the Mayan and the Incas and so on, what, what did they have? Well, perhaps they had traditions, what could be more appropriately called traditions, and less so as religions, right? And I, and I find that, uh, you know, he, he, what we might call Hinduism today is actually a collection of traditions, lots mm -hmm. and lots of traditions, you know, that share a lot in common. They also have differences between each other, uh, but it's a it's a kind of a family of traditions. And I, uh, there's a Sanskrit word for that, which is more appropriate. We have sampradayas, you know, and, mm -hmm. and and there are many, many, many of them, and many gurus, many acharyas, many lineages, and so on. And then the word Hinduism was a was a sort of a wrapper that's that got put on all of this, right? So it is a word that, uh, as you rightly said, you know, it is it's it's uh, embraced by many, and uh, not embraced by many even within the Hindu world. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's a it's a it's therefore an a, an ambivalent word. <laughs> I know. But, yeah. So, but here, here we are in America, and Hindus. If you look at, uh, you know, Wikipedia or uh, whatever encyclopedia, you know, the prevailing wisdom is amongst the world's great religions, Hinduism is one of them. You know, and mm -hmm. the set of world religions, you know, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism is is one of the elements of that set. 
and therefore uh, the label just simply has stuck so you know in our conception the word we use the word hindu in its broadest sense of the term uh, you know to encompass all the wisdom traditions the practices the culture uh, and everything that emerged out of the vedic uh, vedic vision or vedic revelation if you will and we trace back to the vedas and everything uh, within the hindu world uh, stands uh, validated by the vedic vision basically mm-hmm. i got it um, in america uh, you know this a lot of misunderstandings, misconceptions about uh, what Hinduism is, what Indian culture is like. And I know that, uh, like other uh, new immigrant groups who, who came to America, uh, Indian Americans have had to uh, uh, battle those kinds of uh, stereotypes and misconceptions. Is part of what HUA uh, wants to do um, uh, to sort of um, counteract some of those uh, misconceptions and uh, sort of present a more uh, uh, accurate understanding and vision of what the tradition is. Yeah, yeah, that's a very important question. <clears throat> um, see, um, more than counteract. You know, we uh, I would say we want to perform a, a restorative function. Mm. You know, where the uh, the students who go through the university are able to engage with the the culture, the traditions, the texts, and the wisdom, the practices of the uh, of Sanatana Dharma uh, more authentically meaning uh, free from all the uh, constraints of the stereotyping and all the other uh, overlays that have happened on it. Now, uh, hopefully then when they go through this kind of uh, a process of uh, unconditioning themselves, deconditioning their minds, right, they might be inspired to themselves uh, step out and, uh, uh, you know, clarify uh, Hindu perspectives uh, and, you know, address misconceptions and so on. So the university in the, uh, you know, hopes that we will play an enabling role in that happening, uh, but not necessarily going out and doing it ourselves, uh, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those uh, issues mm-hmm. um and I'm going to have to ask you to, <laughs> this is Please. going to be a complex question, but you'll have to answer briefly. Okay. Um, one of the uh, webinars you gave recently um, mm-hmm. was about one of the common uh, 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 delicate issues uh, mm-hmm. that I- Hindus face, which is mm-hmm. the identification of the spiritual tradition uh, that we call Hinduism with the phenomenon of caste in yeah. in, in India, and right. you you gave a, a webinar which I found very uh, informative about caste, 
mm-hmm. and and the and the the uh, uh, concepts of varna and jati. Yeah. Can you can you give <laughs> briefly, you know, mm-hmm. what is you know you'd like people to know about that? Yeah. So you know, see, the most important thing to realize about castes, the caste system, is that, see, the word you can never you cannot find the word caste within the literature of the Hindu world, you know, the Vedic world. You know, you can't go to a Sanskrit text and find the word caste. The caste, just as the word religion was overlaid on Sanatana Dharma, just as the word Hinduism was given to uh, Sanatana Dharma, the word caste was imposed upon the, uh, the social order of the Hindu world by a particular encounter, a European encounter with India. So that's the very first thing to remember, okay, recognize. Now, but that doesn't mean there wasn't something in the Hindu world which lent itself to being called caste. And that was uh, centered on two notions, Varna and Jati. Varna and Jati. These two phenomena were collapsed into the word caste. Now, you know, I do not have time to get into these, these ideas in much more detail right now. But very briefly, I'll say Varna is more like a a universal ideal, okay. Mm-hmm. Jati is, however, a very local uh, manifestation of that universal ideal in a time, in a place, etc. So when you try to, uh, you know, implement or instantiate the the concept of varna in a local environment you get a lot of jatis. And I suspect uh, this is what happened in India. And now you have like, uh, you know, if you enumerate the jatis, you get 25,000 jatis in India. Uh, And that tapestry of jatis is what generally gets called the caste system. In the Western imagination, that caste system was, uh, uh, from the beginning, it was a, a system of exploitation. Unfortunately, that is, uh, I, I, I don't quite agree with it. it. It emerged as a system of not only interdependence, but also a system of spiritual evolution that was grounded in the ideas of uh, karma, janma, punarjanma, moksha, dharma, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. So to get into that world, you had to leave the vocabulary of the West and enter the world of Sanskrit. And in order to the world of Sanskrit, you had to enter it with, with the spirit of Sanskrit, you know, the spirit of the Vedic uh, vision. Then I think you'll get a very different understanding of the Varnajati social order uh, that is free from the overlay of the Western imagination of what it is. Mm. Uh, and that's a very subtle distinction I'm making. It requires a lot more elucidation, but... Well, you don't have time for that, right? Then no, but um, they can find a lot of information online, I, and I find that um, uh, deconstructing uh, caste and separating it from uh, the spiritual traditions of India uh, is 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 an important uh, uh, task. Uh, Kalyan, thanks so much for for being with us. I want to tell our listeners if you go to hua.edu. 
You'll find all kinds of information about Hindu University of America. I'm looking right now at the fall courses. Uh, there are courses on Sanskrit. There's courses on uh, Hindu musical traditions, uh, managing back pain through holistic yoga, Hindu history, uh, and a course on the Mahabharata. There's all kinds of things, including how Hindu Dharma transformed America, which I'll be teaching. And uh, I want to invite uh, people to please uh, go and register for the course. It's going to be different. Uh, it'll cover a lot of the ground I did in American Veda, but it'll also have more and it'll be uh, you know, interactive. And we'd love to have you join us. So uh, all this will be posted. And Kalyan, thanks again for, for uh, spending time with us today. And um, all the best uh, as you continue to grow HUA. Yeah, great. Uh, Philip, thank you so much. And I, uh, I also want to thank our uh, people who are listening to this podcast. And I'd like to extend a warm invitation to every one of uh, the listeners to come and join Philip Goldberg in this class, uh, in this course starting on the October 6th, very soon, How Hindu Dharma Transformed America. With that, right. And if thank you're you very much. If you're, if you're discovering this podcast after October 6th, <laughs> well, it's too late, but we will... Uh, we will uh, find other ways to communicate those ideas. And listeners, thank you very much for those of, to those of you who have uh, responded to our call for contributions to help keep us going. Dennis and I want to keep this podcast free, and we need uh, some support so we can uh, cover some expenses and uh, uh, continue bringing you interesting guests. Thanks very much. See you next time.